how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Neil Blomkamp grew up in South Africa before he moved to Canada to work in special effects and found his natural path to filmmaking. He's best known for the science fiction fable where he's made movies like District 9, Elysium, Chappie, and most recently, Demonic. In District 9, an extraterrestrial race is forced to live in slum-like conditions. In Elysium, the wealthy live in a man-made space station while the poor live on ruined earth. In Chappie, crime is controlled by mechanized police force. In his latest film, Demonic, a young woman unleashes terrifying demons when supernatural forces at the root of a decades-old rift between mother and daughter are ruthlessly revealed. In this interview, he talks about leaving Hollywood to create the company Oats, his interest in sociopolitical topics, the importance of creative limitations, rules more important than structures, and making films for hyper-specific audiences. No, I think people are just drawn to certain things. You know, I was uh, I was drawn to films as far back as I can remember, and I always wanted to work in them in some capacity. And um, when I lived in South Africa, it didn't really seem like it was viable that I, you know, that I could do that. And by the time I got to Canada, I was 18, and um, I pretty much went straight into film school. And I was I was uh, you know I was doing um, VFX and animation. And it was like, oh, I actually could get a job doing this. Feels like you can actually work in the film industry. And then, um, and then once I was doing that, I kind of looked at a lot of my favorite directors and as a path to directing features, they'd gone through commercials and music videos. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I tried to do that and I did. And then I got, um, I just got into, you know, I just, I just kept scaling it up and it, it, it was, uh, I was lucky. And then I realized that's exactly what I wanted to be doing was making feature feature films about stories that I, that interested me. Who were some of your influences in the beginning? Definitely, definitely Ridley Scott uh, would be very high on that list. 
Um, and it was actually his production company that I went to to try to get representation from them in commercials because he'd come from commercials. So Ridley, Ridley would be like probably the main inspiration, I would say. Um, and that would predominantly, I mean, actually lots of his films. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Um, and then when I got a bit older, it was uh, Kubrick and um, James Cameron, Verhoeven. Yeah. What advice might you have for directors making commercials or shorts now? Like how can they best kind of put their creative touch on something when they have this limited time and they've got to do it in a, you know, to uh, approval and that type of thing? Well, shorts are wildly different from commercials. Right. I mean, you, I don't know if it's possible to be creative in commercials. I don't even really know what that means. Like, but you can definitely be creative in short films and you can definitely put, I mean, that that's like, you may have more creativity there than on a bigger film. So it's like, you know, they, they, the more that they can put some unique element that makes it them into that short, it's will, will create a situation where there's a higher possibility that they manage to land a bigger film because it is unique. I mean, if there's a thousand other people also making shorts, it's like, what is the thing that makes this unique? What makes it you like, what makes it so that if it was directed by anybody else, it wouldn't be this. So, yeah, I would, I would say like finding, finding an, an, a style and an artistic point of view and an aesthetic point of view that is you is as important as, as whatever uh, narrative elements you're putting into that. You've kind of famously spent the last couple of years making more short, seeing how the 20 minute realm fits into everything going on today. What's been some of your, your feedback from that? How have you kind of seen the balance of monetization and creativity and those type of things? Well, I'm, I'm super interested in, in, in the way to monetize oats and be able to like kickstart the engine to um, be able to make more stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely possible to use the internet to fund what you want to do. Um, it's just like, you just have to go about it in you know, whatever the most intelligent way is and go, go into it. Also knowing that like initially you're going to lose money until eventually you figure out exactly how to fine tune it. Um, so I'm, I'm like massively, massively interested in doing that. And, um, it, it's why I don't want that project to ever touch Hollywood, right? Cause Hollywood is sort of tr traditional and it's like, you can't, you can't shoehorn something highly untraditional that is, that has evolved on the internet into Hollywood. It doesn't work. Uh, and I know, so I don't want to, I want it to have like its own, its own life separately. So um, those questions about sort of the 21st century decentralized version of, of, of filmmaking, that's like extremely filmmaker centric and just whatever they want to make uh, you know, it's, I mean, YouTube creators are that, right? Like that's there, there, there's more, I find like more inspiration and in a lot of YouTube creators than I do with like a lot of feature directors that are out there. You see, um, a natural revolution, the filmmaking business, like the nineties was famously geared towards screenwriters. Do you think some of that is coming back with more freedoms with streamers and those type of things? I don't know. I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I feel like the revolutions are kind of finished, right? I think we're in some sort of age of just corporate content now, which just seems to be to make as much of it as possible. And because there is so much being made and the budget levels are so extravagant, it's like, there's definitely like, really incredible pieces of artwork within there just because of the sheer volume. Mm -hmm. But I would say in general, it's a, it's a volume qual, you know, it's a quantity of a quality situation now. 
Um, and it's, it's the, the quality is super high, but it's as a result of just the sheer amount of stuff that is being made. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any more revolutions or any more like walls that have to be knocked over. It's just a case now of like, if you have a good idea, you should go out and make it. Where do you feel like you're at with some of your work? Do you still see um, similar themes and ideas as you had with District 9, Elysium, and Chappie? Do you feel like you're still exploring those same social causes, the technology? You kind of moved into a little bit of more horror genre, but tell me a little bit about how you think about the type of work you're attracted to and what you want to tell. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hugely interested in, um, in, in political topics and socio-political topics and class warfare and class struggle and i think i i i assume that it's as a result of growing up in south africa you know i think if i'd grown up in canada maybe things wouldn't be the same with me i don't, I don't actually know but um whatever it is 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 hardwired into me in a way that i'm, I'm very drawn to those topics um so yeah, I, I don't know. It must be a reflection of, of growing up in, in South Africa, I think. Uh, but I, but I, I think that, you know, go, going forward now, there's, there's, um, there's space for more, there's space for other things too. So there's a lot of different, like, I mean, this film is just, is just you know, techno horror. And uh, there's other avenues that I want to go down, like many other avenues, but it doesn't discount how much effort I also want to put into things that are a bit more like district nine and Elysium. What kind of, um, what made demonic come to the surface? Like where the idea come from? Why did you want to take this and do a full feature as opposed to a short or something like that? I, you know, it was just COVID. If it wasn't for COVID, none of this would have happened. So, um, I probably would have made a short, I guess, with the idea. Like, but I also had this other thing in the back of my head, which was that I always loved um, Paranormal Activity in the way that that filmmaker just went out and shot that, like in his house. And the original version of Demonic was actually in my house. Um, so it was very, it was very much like cut from the same cloth. Like, how, how do you just go out and film a low-budget horror film yourself? What does that look like? And because of the, the kind of oats, you know, film school that we'd all gone through of, of like, crazy low production or low 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 budget production um it, it was like well maybe we can actually just do a two-hour film the same way like could you do a feature film the same way and that's what we did so so it was okay if we're doing a feature and if it's horror and it's kind of inspired by by paranormal activity like what what should we do and um one of the elements that i've separately from this film i've just always wanted to use is volumetric capture which we used in the vr sequences mm -hmm. so i just dug that up as an idea and then um i needed to justify it in the script in a way that it felt narratively like the audience would accept how glitchy it was as a technology so it had to be written in like it was a piece of prototype technology within the, the construct of the world that the movie takes place in um, and when that clicked, that was cool. So then I, I just kind of ran with it. I think you were, I mean, it sounds like, and a, a lot of people that made movies during the quarantine were really just leaning into co the contained thriller aspects, but also all the limitations you naturally had. Yeah. Do you think that made you more creative when you found yourself kind of hitting a wall? What made you go around it or figure out a new, a new idea to make it work? <laughs> I don't think it makes you more creative. It just creates a situation where it's a different kind of creativity. Cause you can, you can argue the other way that it's like, you could be more creative with more money. Right. You could dream up more stuff. 
So, so I mean, I, I think it's just creativity in general. It just, um, it's, it's a different kind of creativity. It's more of like a problem solving mindset where you're, you're, you're working backwards. Like, I mean, this film was, the, this film was the result of, I have all of these different puzzle pieces. Like, I know I want to use Carly in something. I know that I want to use volumetric capture and something. I have this other separate idea about the Vatican buying up like tech companies. So what, what locations do we have? You know, we have access to this. What vehicles do we have? Well, we can get our hands on this. So it's like, it, it's totally the reverse of how you would normally go about making a movie. You know, it's like purely derived out of COVID. <laughs> how much did that change the actual like shooting a script? Was there a script? Was it more of a general guideline? Um, to work no there was a script well. yeah no it was it was traditional i mean it was very traditional like yeah just just uh it, it was it was like what are the puzzle piece elements we have access to you know make a list of them figure out what we want to use and then write the script based on that hmm. did, did doing shorts also or the, possibly your other background your other background is um long-term filmmaker do you kind of just jump into things more? Do you go and practice? If I want to use, an, if you want to use a new technology, do you go practice something, make uh-huh. something? How do you kind of, you just kind of see what's you, out there? You, and- yeah, I mean, if you research it and you kind of know, you you have an idea of what to expect. Like we spend a lot of time speaking to Metastage in LA that is a volumetric camera capture studio. Mm-hmm. And by the time we want, and that was just to learn about it. That was like to understand what I was dealing with. Because I knew aesthetically what it looked like and I, and I loved it. Um, and then when, when it came time to shoot it, because of uh, how far into the pandemic we were, the borders between Canada and the U.S. were shut. So I couldn't actually use them. Mm-hmm. So then we found VCS, which is a Vancouver-based volumetric system um, company, and they built the rig. And like, But I was pretty well-versed at that point about like what to expect. And that's why I was saying I had to write it narratively in a way that you couldn't you couldn't just write it like it was avatar and go like oh by the way this is what it looks like people would go but that looks like it looks like glitchy cgi what do you mean right um so as long as, long as it, you know it was justified so i knew exactly what that part would look like um what i didn't know i had a rough idea of but in practice it was worse was i didn't know how difficult it would actually be to shoot because it's just hard on every level do you have any advice for screenwriters who are maybe not writer directors? Like if they want to write something really experimental like this, how do they get on the page in the best way where they can find a director to collaborate with? Do they need a director to collaborate with? I mean, couldn't they, couldn't they just research like, or, or, or even just with their own interest in something, just go down the road of, you know, just write it in there. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that they need, a director to do that with mm-hmm. you know it could be a case of just following an instinct and following it through to the end right but i mean they could also they could also do the screenwriting version of experimental which is also very interesting and like you know break up the timelines or, or the pov that the story is told from like do do something very experimental in the way that the screenplay is structured mm-hmm. How do you see, have you, I know you're, you're mostly write and direct your own work. Have you read some other screenplays? What do you look for? If you, if you read screenplays, how much of that action do you want to see? Like, do you want to see details? You want to see camera movements or not really? No, no, no. Fuck no, 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 no. I don't want to see any of that. No, no. I want absolutely nothing. That would just irritate me. Actually. I have read scripts that do that. That just drives me insane. It, It should be a document that is representative of the story and the characters in a way that that you're drawn into the story. 
and and presumably if it's being sent out to directors they they know what they're doing like they they will apply their own you know right. style or choices to it um no that just creates a situation where yeah that's not that's not a good situation um it's truly just based on based on the material i mean i get sent scripts and i you know i've it's it's interesting because there's been a bunch of projects now that I've worked on with writers um, where I'm collaborating with, with a writer uh, who is entirely responsible for the script, which is, um, you know, I really enjoy. And, and then there's, uh, and then there's times where you get, you get sent scripts that are already, you know, baked and they're, they're there and they're relatively ready to go. And it's interesting because it, it's hard to put your finger sometimes on exactly what you're looking for that makes something unique and special and what you see in it. Um, and I mean, there's so many examples of, of directors that have taken scripts that other people like didn't see, they didn't see this, this sort of gem that was inside of it. And, and the, the, the mixture of like the, the, the writer and the writer's ideas mixed with what the director did with it yields this like incredibly good movie. Um, so you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of try to look deeper and see if there's stuff. And then obviously there's other scripts where it's just on the surface that it's like clearly very, very good. You find that, uh, I mean, you're, you've been making shorts more recently, but with some of your, your full length features, do you find that it's more important to get into the action faster? Like do you, the audiences expect that today? Well, I mean, the question that you're asking is, is quite complex because this goes back to Oates being outside of Hollywood. Inside of Hollywood, you have streaming content and then you have traditional studio movies, right? Mm -hmm. And so under streaming, you obviously have movies and then you have TV shows. So there's almost like three categories of things. And each one of those three things follows very specific rules. Obviously, the streaming movies and the theatrical movies are pretty similar. And then the TV shows are all pretty similar. So when you say the audience has, the audience expects more immediately and you need to keep them hooked, it's like the audience needs more immediately and needs to be hooked because they have 787,000 other choices and they also have social media and other stuff. And they're probably watching the thing that you're talking about on their phone. Right. And if they're not watching it on their phone, they're watching it on their TV at home and their phone is in their hand. So so the question that you're asking when you when it when it's when it's related to oats is a very different question because oats isn't inside any one of those three things. Mm -hmm. It's it's entirely its own thing. And it's one of the reasons that I think oats can work over time once it's figured out how to monetize it is that it 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 just does whatever it wants. If it wants right. to start like halfway through the story and the entire piece is 17 minutes long, that's what it's going to do. And it's like the audience can take it or leave it. Right. So there's some, there's definitely something beneficial to that. Um, but then at the same time, it's, it's purposefully trying to steer away from the, the structure, like everything is so structured in Hollywood and it really kind of annoys me. So, you know, everything is like, if it's a feature, it's probably three acts, certain, certain films break that sometimes and it's like it's it's very refreshing and it's structured differently and it's amazing but they're rare anomalies and it's the same with tv shows so there's there's like an expected thing and certain things have to happen on certain page numbers and it's like the older i get the more irritating all of that formula becomes and i think the and i think the audience 
to some degree will begin to feel that they will go towards weirder, more unusual things just because it's fresher and it's more unpredictable and they don't, they don't, you know, there's some, there's some stuff in there that they don't need as well. So, so the question about like oats versus studio based or streaming based content are, it's two wildly different things, but, but you also feel that I definitely with the streamers where it's like, they need to keep the audience's attention and they know it but they're still abiding by their own structure. You know, the episode is still roughly 60 minutes long and something is still roughly happening. There's some inciting incident at some point within the first 10 minutes. And it's like, yeah, but, or you could just have that in the first minute, you know, but, and that's kind of what I mean. It's like, they won't fully break those rules. Some of it, I think what you're saying, like the barrier to entry is different. So when you take it off one of those platforms, as you're saying, it's almost like the attention of going into a movie theater because it's more complicated than just clicking the same button they've clicked a million times and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an element with with what I want to do with Oats eventually, which is like, this isn't for you. Just go away. You know, like the vibe is it's not for you. Like, just just leave. And it's like, oh, you're still here. Okay, fine. Like, here's something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like actively trying to just get rid of the audience would be would be a good way to describe how those shorts should be made. And also those shorts could be one minute and they could be three hours. You know, it could be, it's like, like, it's really interesting because you watch, you watch media bend and mutate to fit the technology that it is on. So it's like with, with, you know, TV shows in the 1950s were sort of the result of not knowing what television is. So we'll just adapt radio plays, but we'll shoot them visually. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then you look at Game of Thrones. So it's like, well, what, you know, once it went from, from radio shows shot visually to the sitcom or whatever, it's like, why is it the sitcom? Why is it X amount of time? It's like, well, th- this is like an algorithmically, and even back then, it would have been somewhat algorithmic with just using classical mathematics that this is where the advertisers come in. You know, this is where okay. we do this, this is where we do that. And so the the creative, the script writing, the filming, everything begins to fall into these things. And then, and then the new technology comes out and it expands and changes slightly. And then it sort of locks into place. And the thing with Oats or the thing with YouTube is that just doesn't apply anymore. So it's whatever you want it to be. And when it's whatever you want it to be, it's just really a question of finances then. Right. So, and the finances is a, is a result of, well, who is watching it and how many people are watching it. Is there, how does genre play into some of that? How does genre play into Oats? I mean, your, your style is very specific. If you look at Demonic, it looks kind of like a modern take on exorcism type of film. Horror fans are naturally... Um, very into the things they're into the same with some sci-fi fans some of that did that come naturally did, is it coincidentally i mean i mean it's not like you're making rom-coms but i mean how did you kind of lead to these types of stories in short form i think it's just artistic preference you know it's right. like it's an it's it's like what you just naturally gravitate towards as a filmmaker or what the, the subject matter and and aesthetic feeling of the things that you want to make is so I don't, it, it's weird. I mean, on a, on a deeper creative level, I don't always know what the reasons are. Sometimes it's more just intuition or a sense of non-intellectualizing something on purpose so that it can just be what it is. Um, 
Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, it's just a preference. It's just the way that maybe my brain is structured. That's the, that's the stuff that I make, you know, what does your, your downtime look like between some of these films? Are you constantly adding to bits and pieces of ideas? Like when do you know that, yeah. okay, this one's next, this one's almost there. I can go ahead and write the script or whatever's next. Yeah. I'm definitely always jotting down like millions of ideas. That That is for sure. I mean, I have, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of that. Um, and sometimes some ideas just feel more like you can see them um, as holistic things quicker. Um, there's a screenplay now that I just finished that I want to make as my next film, um, which is a science fiction. It's a bigger science fiction film. And it was kind of the results of that. Like the first idea that I had was about a character and what the character would be able to do. And, and then I sat down and fleshed out the world around the character and it just, it, it was like, I could just easily write that script. I knew, I knew how that would, would work as, as a, as a longer story, as a feature length story. Um, but there's like lots of, uh, there's lots of ideas like that. Just some, some feel, you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that is oats a little bit is that I always thought of oats as a place where when ideas are too weird or too odd that, that may be like dismissed by studios. Um, but there's still actually like something commercial or, or viable within them. I've always thought that that's what oats could be. So something like Firebase is a good example of that, right? Like Firebase is extremely weird and odd and unique, but it's also quite cool. And it's like, I don't really know which studio would make that, but, right. but I also know that, you know, a few million people want to watch that. Mm-hmm. so it's like it's an interesting thing and it's it's oats oats feels like the place where and this is what i'm talking about with the three-act structure blah 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 like thing is what about all the other ideas you know and and because of the internet and because of the 21st century there's going to be venues for those other ideas mm-hmm. how do you think about you mentioned character in that one example and a lot of the rules you've you know, you, you disregard or, or care less about that we've been forced to by Sid Field or whatever it is, but what keeps you from, um, okay, I'm, I may be thinking too much about world building or not, not, not enough about world building. What keeps you grounded? What are your rules that like bring you back to the surface to make the story work in your mind? Well, I mean, I guess every filmmaker is different. I, I think for me, it's a case of like, whoever the lead character is, is the main thing that you have to use to drive everything else. So if your if your eye is on the lead and and exactly what it is that they're going through and thematically what you're trying to say. So like is theme and character are they both intertwined with one another and and doing what you want them to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's base that's basically like the most important thing to me. And then the next thing would be that is what they're going through emotional. So like it's reinforcing the theme, but is it also emotional? And do they, are you watching them change or evolve somehow? Um, and, and I think once you, once you have that in place, if that's strong enough, then you're, you'll be in a pretty good place and you can begin to extrapolate around them. Um, and, you know, you can, like in the case of Chappie, um, the, the idea and the, 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 the themes and concepts of that film were almost bigger than, then not then Ch- Chappie himself, but then, then all of the other characters, 
And so what the film was trying to do is it was trying to put forward these incredibly complex dense ideas about the nature of existence and this, this kind of Schopenhauer-esque pessimistic um, point of view to do with the nature of being and how uh, just being and being born into reality is, you know, corrupts you, corrupts the soul. Um, and it was doing that up against this kind of insane, poppy, pop culture, um, irreverent, like seeming like it doesn't care, you know, mental tone. And, and so the most important thing in that movie for me was very, very, very deep ideas that were um, covered with a paintbrush of like what seems like it doesn't care. It's totally irreverent. And, and those two things shouldn't exist together and thereby create like a hyper unique tone, tonal space that it would exist in. So I think I achieved that, but I also think I understand why the audience kind of rejected that. But that's an example of where um, you're striving for something that, you know, could be as important as the, as the main character and the way that the main character and the theme are intertwined with one another. So there are, there are sort of, in my mind, at least there are, there's a necessity sometimes to, to think of it on a, on a grand design level and like what it's trying to say. And sometimes that won't work and sometimes it will work. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.